you from Chicago. This is Bruce Dumont with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of room and innuendo, all of our up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Art Sear, Cecile Shea, Doug Truax, and Ryan Yantis. Our program coming to you from our home base at the Museum of Broadcast Communications in Chicago, where our toll-free lines are open at 1-800-723-8289. That's 1-800-723-8289. If you'd like to email me a comment, it's Bruce Dumont at museum.tv. If you want to tweet me a comment, it's at Dumo, at D-U-M-O. And, of course, you can join us on the World Wide Web, audio and video every Sunday night and really anytime at beyondthebeltway.com. We have another very busy two hours because of the President of the United States, and we'll be talking about all the major issues uh, that made big news this past week. And again, uh, of course, uh, for the last, uh, uh, when the announcement was made yesterday that uh, the Attorney General had fired Andrew McCabe, former number two man at the FBI, just a few hours before uh, his uh, retirement uh, and his uh, pension uh, was going to kick in. Uh, the firing, obviously, was a bombshell announcement, and it sent uh, the president very active to the Twitters, to the tweet, his tweeting, and he's been <laughs> tweeting, he's been tweeting so much, and here's some of the things he's had to say. Andrew McCabe fired. A great day for the hardworking men and women of the FBI. A great day for democracy. Sanctimonious James Comey was his boss and made McCabe look like a choir boy. He knew all about the lies and corruption going on at the highest levels of the FBI. End of quote. Well, Andrew McCabe responded. McCabe said, Because of the role I played, the actions I took, and the events I witnessed in the aftermath of the firing of James Comey. James Comey then weighed in, saying to the president, Mr. President, the American people will hear my story very soon, and they can judge for themselves who is honorable and who is not. Not to be outdone, the former CIA director, John Brennan, weighed in, and listen to this one. When the full extent of your venality, moral turpitude, and political corruption becomes known, you will take your rightful place as a disgraced demagogue in the dustbin of history. End of quote. That's, that's John Brennan, who's now the new national security advisor and analyst for NBC. So he may have to weigh what, what he says on NBC from now on. I think we know where he stands. Ryan Yantis, you are the closest thing to uh, – uh, well, actually, we have two military veterans on the show. You were one. Uh, my question to you is um, how big a deal is the firing of Andrew McCabe, and uh, does it help or hurt the president's case – down the road. Bruce, glad to be here tonight. I think uh, the process that I understand was followed uh, in the decision-making tree. Uh, Mr. McCabe, his performance, conduct, actions, and misactions were reviewed by internal FBI uh, and Department of Justice offices, and they recommended him being fired, and that action was taken. So if he's been afforded that due process, uh, it's going to be sorted out in the weeks, months, and years to come on, on a legal basis. Art Sear, your reaction to uh, the timing of the firing of Mr. McCabe? Oh, I think it was uh, something that reinforces the reputation of the president, well-deserved for being very temperamental and operating on the spur of the moment, and the tweets are kind of 
symptomatic of his personality. It also let me you can I ask you a question though. Sure. The the uh, the review process, the professional review process mm-hmm. by the FBI. They clearly said that this guy should have been fired. Mm-hmm. I don't know, and I don't think anybody knows at the moment whether they weighed in on the timing, how quickly he was to be fired. I think it's inappropriate for the President of the United States to intervene so directly and so personally. You do make a good point. Uh, what way? How did he intervene? By he, he singles out personalities for denunciation. Uh, well, in this particular case, that. the Office of Professional Standards agreed with him. So leave it there. If you're the President of the United States, you're demeaning the office as well as yourself if you engage. Perhaps I'm not making myself clear, and I apologize if I am. It's okay. But you're demeaning the office as well as yourself by constantly engaging in personal insults. I hope that's clear. Doug Truax joins us. Uh, He is also a military veteran and a Republican. Question to you, Doug. The way the the president handled it, the way the FBI, the way everybody handled it, was it done right? Well, um, I think to to echo kind of what Ryan was talking about, I've always been uh, really proud of our military and how if there's ever a problem, they handle it internally very quickly and they admit to it and everything else. And I always would hope the FBI would behave that way. I think what we're starting to see now is they know they got a problem because some of these guys at the top were leaking and lying and all these types of things. And I think there's more to come. He's going to be the first one. Uh, but I do commend the FBI for internally investigating this and being the ones to say, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not right. He shouldn't do it. Now, as far as the timing goes, um, I also think there's a message here that if you're a public servant, you need to do your job and don't expect that if you start uh, working against the public uh, trust, is, is what these guys were doing, that you should be entitled to retirement. Cecile Shea well joins put. us to making her first appearance. So thank you very much for being with us, senior, senior fellow at the Chicago Council on Global Affairs. Uh, your reaction to uh, the firing of Andrew McCabe and the way it was done? Well, so first of all, we know a little bit of what the professional standards finding was, but we haven't actually read it and we haven't heard from anyone on the committee. So we are hearing a a, a part of what they found. So, and, and, and we don't know, did they say that he should be fired before he turns 50, the day before he turns 50, and would be able to pull his full pension? Or did they just assume that he would be allowed to fire, to, allowed to retire, um, as he had planned? He had planned on retiring on Monday. So, so <clears throat> there's still a lot of facts that we don't know. No, now, it's funny. I, you know, I will say that I think the way that this all happened um, may end up affecting President Trump's popularity with one key group of his constituents, and that is men and women over age 45, who are terrified of having happened to them exactly what has happened to Hmm. Mr. McCabe, being out on the street without health insurance because of an unexpected, seemingly personal decision by a boss. Now, I'm not saying he was, I'm not saying, you know, that was, by the way, people have when, a lot when of this compassion. Happened, yeah. When this happened, yeah. uh, that was sort of my reaction. Yeah. There, there, there were two reactions, okay? Yeah. Uh, I think he's a bad guy. I think the Office of Professional Standards found that. I think he should, have, he should go, but there is a way in which you can handle it. And, and I don't know, under the rules and regulations of the FBI, whether they could have given him another couple of weeks. I don't know. But the fact is that a guy who's about to be 50, about to be fired, loses it all, I mean, it, it seems to me that it creates a morale problem, I think, yes. within the FBI. And as you say, to a lot of people who are uh, waiting for their pension. 
Well, and, and I think we should keep in mind that Andrew McCabe's boss is Christopher Ray, whose boss is Jeff Sessions, whose boss is Donald Trump. And, uh, and so it's a big organization, and somebody at the top should – it's the executive branch. Right. And so um, if you're not doing your job like you should, it's just like every place else in this country, it's time to go. And if he makes a decision in that way, then that's what he does. And, it, you know, Andrew McCabe brought this on himself. That's what happened. And so he's got to suffer the consequences. Timing, I don't think it matters. It, uh, justice is what matters. We've got to pause. 1-800-723-8029. What do you think of the decision to fire Andrew McCabe? Uh, do you think the timing was right? Or do you agree, as some have suggested, including myself, that maybe there was a better way of getting him out the door without making it look as brutal as it certainly was? Back shortly from Chicago. This March, Goodman Theater Artistic Director Robert Falls presents a thrilling new production of Ibsen's timely classic, An Enemy of the People. When a water contamination crisis puts their town in peril, two brothers face off in a battle of political ambitions and moral integrity. The fate of the community hangs in the balance. The Village Voice raves, An Enemy of the People is exhilarating to experience. An Enemy of the People at Goodman Theater. March 10th through April 15th. Tickets at goodmantheater.org. Mr. Dumont, back uh, in Chicago. Thanks very much for joining us. One other thing that the president had to say in his tweets, again, he took another opportunity to really blast uh, the Mueller investigation, and uh, the tweet uh, goes like this. He said, why does the Mueller team have 13 hardened Democrats, some big crooked Hillary supporters, and zero Republicans? Another Dem recently added, does anyone think this is fair? And yet there is no collusion. So the president reinforcing something that he and his supporters have said for quite some time, that the Mueller investigative team seems uh, pretty slanted towards Democrats. Doug, your response. Um, I understand that he's upset about all this because uh, you think about how this started. The collusion thing actually began with the dossier, which is uh, abundantly – it's abundantly clear now that was not – Real. That was fake. That, you know, Comey to Clapper to leak it. To, to Comey tells the uh, president the next day. Now it's news. Now it's in the in the bloodstream. So as the further they go along, and then there's no evidence of collusion anywhere, yet after all this time. And so even though Mueller is going after other stuff now, meaning he's looking into the Russians and the part they played, which I think is really important to look at. You know, from the president's and the perspective, Trump organization, right? And, the, and from the, but, but from the president's perspective, okay, this started because of quote unquote collusion. There's nothing here, and it's still going, and now it's off in a different direction. So I could do without the tweets sometimes, like everybody else. But I do kind of get that side of it. It's just it's it, the special investigation power starts to really grow, and then he makes the point: Wow, there's a lot of Democrats on this thing. Well, his mm-hmm. his uh, his the president's personal attorney uh, said yesterday that he thinks this is time to shut this whole investigation down. Do you think there's any likelihood that that will happen at all, Cecile? Um, I, well, the only way it would be shut down at this point is if the president did some drastic and ill-advised yeah. action, such Fired as him. yeah, firing mm-hmm. the attorney general, firing um, Mr. Mueller. Just one, we do have to make one point, which is that Mueller himself is a registered Republican. Right. Rosenstein is a Republican. I think four of those 13 are of no party affiliation. Um, Peter Scorich, I think we could say, is a Democrat. Um, 
Well, there are a couple wealthy people on there who have done some large political donations, and then there are a lot of civil servants on there. And the civil service, yes, has a lot of Democrats, registered Democrats. Washington, D.C. generally has a lot of registered right. Democrats. So just to, to be clear, the, so the head guy that, is a Republican. There are a, lot of Repu- there are a lot of Republicans who would like to get rid of the president. But, but, yeah. but, but in your view, given your experience, because you've had some D.C. experience right. as well, and you're come out of the diplomatic right. corps, it, for those living in middle America... Is it wrong for them to think that maybe this looks a little, a little questionable? So it I looks th- a little. It looks a little not not so squeaky clean. So I have two answers answers to that. First of all, I do travel a bit and speak to groups around the Midwest, mm-hmm. and I am amazed at how little they are following this entire situation. When you talk about, for instance, Russian paid Facebook ads during the campaign, they've never even heard of that. Now it's something that those of us who read the news regularly and have paid detailed attention to Russian meddling in the election, just know so intimately. But actually, there's not a lot of knowledge out there about exactly what Russia was up to during the election. And so when they hear some little things about Mueller's probe and there was no collusion, they don't have anything, they don't have any kind of basic knowledge to understand Do you that. then, Ryan, I want your response. Do you think, based, uh, based on what Cecile just said, uh, in, the, in the body politic, have both parties done a masterful job of muddying the waters so the average voter can't really follow the bouncing ball here. Within the echo chamber that is defined by the 395 loop around yes. the national capital region, uh, the, uh, the echoes in there are very strong and strident and partisan. Uh, going to the first question, I do think that there is a problem on who is investigating the president and, and what the team is made up of. When I served in uniform, I did my very best uh, to be apolitical. I would encourage my soldiers to vote, uh, and I would mm-hmm. encourage them to learn more about the Constitution, but I wasn't there to try to convert them over to something that I believed other than you serve the president under the Constitution. Do you, Art Sear, believe that based on, on past comments by James Comey, and the comments that James Comey made today or tweeted today about the McCabe firing, as well as the comments by John Brennan, which I thought were way over the top, does, does that send a real strong signal that here are two guys who were supposed to be apolitical, and they're certainly not sounding like they're apolitical? I don't think they're understood to be apolitical. The military is. Uh, James Comey. Institutionally. Wasn't he considered to be apolitical? Weren't they both considered to be the head of the CIA and the head of the FBI? Traditionally, haven't they been viewed as apolitical people? A long time ago, Mr. Dumont, during the age of J. Edgar Hoover, who developed lots of vices over the years and stayed too long, but it was an apolitical agency. Since Watergate, the long-term poisonous corruption of that experience, no, these agencies are highly politicized. And I hope I don't sound too old. It's fairly recent that especially former heads of intelligence would go into the media, not just this guy, but they troop before Congress. They regularly have their own PR operations. That's a gigantic change from the Cold War period. And I think uh, Ryan is making a very good point, actually. I also think that it's fairly recent, and we should be aware of that. I'm very sorry we're spending so much time on this, frankly since I think honesty is the best policy, it's only since Watergate that we've had a parade of special prosecutors and special counsels, including investigating Jimmy Carter's peanut company. Thank God the Carter Peanut Company was, uh, was uh, not prosecuted. 
but it's become a regular routine. It's very unhealthy. But and I don't, I don't think a special, part of, a special prosecutor is anything but a partisan vehicle. When the, uh, I want to just put up Sorry the, about the that, quote. Bruce. No, that, that's okay. I want to put up the quote from, from Comey again. I want to get Doug's response. Because what Comey said uh, was, if we put it up, uh, Fritz, he said, Mr. President, the American people will hear my story very soon, and they can judge for themselves who is honorable and who is not. Now, to me... That's a, his book is coming out in about six weeks. Yeah. That sounds like all book hype. To yeah, me. he's trying to make money. That's what's going on. I think that uh, I think we have lost something yeah. crucial in our country, and it goes to what Art was saying too. I, you would you would hope that over time, these people that take these big jobs and they serve in these positions, they do it for the good of the country. Uh, and then when it's done, they go and do something else. They don't write books and uh, and hype themselves like crazy, and then get in these battles. I feel like what he's doing, he's getting a constant battle with the president, who, you know, obviously he's taking the bait or whatever different yeah. times. Well, but, so, right, well, but the, the point of the matter is James Comey was never elected to anything. Okay, President Trump was. And no. so we got to keep all that in mind. Who, who elected, who, you know, we, the people elected, the, well we put. elect our representatives, yeah. well and then put. these guys just get appointed. So, so. But, but why are we blaming Comey and Brennan for these tweets? Because... They didn't start this until President Trump tweeted very personal things about them months ago, even while Comey was still a federal employee and did not tweet back because he could not. I mean, President Trump, getting back to some of Art's earlier comments, President Trump behaves in an extremely unpresidential and inappropriate manner in the public sphere. He has said things about these guys that are completely out of line. And, yes, they are responding. I don't consider these tweets to be political so much as responses to out-of-line character assassinations would, by would, the leader of the but, free world. But, but, but would, they, would they be more, would they be held in higher esteem if they just let the, turn the other cheek? Yeah. Would, would, because it, would, it wouldn't ask, like someone like myself, asking this question. I mean, right now, there, there's there anything, in my view, anything that James Comey says now is suspect. It is suspect. He doesn't have to say anything, it's young man. There's something called no comment. Dedicated public servants he doesn't used know to, that. Dedicated public servants used to say no comment. I'm not referring to the president at all. We should get back to that tradition. Well, you don't have to sound off. Well, I know that, but I've all been captured I, by the media. I, I understand that, but what I'm thank just, you very much for the, acknowledging it, that. No, in this in this particular case, though. I mean, when you have someone oh. who, who, who returns the president's fire, no. it seems to me that he's demonstrating that he didn't have the professionalism to keep his mouth shut. But, I think a lot more people would have respected him if he said nothing as opposed to attacking, responding to the I president. Say, Even I though I understand it's a personal thing. I was going to say to Cecile's point, though, is that I think what's going on, though, is these guys like McCabe is the first shoe to drop. These guys were leaking like crazy. And they were, it, there's, there's a lot of cr- uh, criminality in some of the things they were leaking, and they know it's coming. That's so I think MO. some of this is what's happening is they're, getting, they're trying to get ahead of their own uh, persecution in the public eye because the persecution is coming from the Justice Department. These, these IG reports are going to start coming out. I think Trump is – I could do without the tweets too. But the thing was he was under such fire already. I think he has such – venom in him at times because of the leaking that was going on from what he would call the swamp, which I would call the deep state. These guys were literally out to get him in the beginning. I mean, there was, he was having conversations with world leaders that the people were just leaking it out. Like it was, and that right there is, there's some criminality but, involved but, okay, in that but too. The conversations that were leaked were not leaked on our side. They were leaked by these other countries and they were pretty, yes, it's been sure proven. Yeah, okay. it's been pretty, right. it's been quite proven now that it was 
you know, the governments that were having these appalling conversations with him. I didn't that, know that. that but that, it's, but that it's, it's, it's hard things. having heard what Brennan said yeah. and having heard what James Clapper has said since Donald Trump has been elected. Yeah. It's hard, I think, for a lot of people to believe or, or to, I should say, believe the president yeah. when he f- says that he believes that there are some in American intelligence that are out to get him and he doesn't trust them. I think we've had, we've had response from, like Blake Brennan. I mean, how can anybody think that Brennan could yeah. be objective about the president? So, Did that just start on the day that the president fired him? So one of the ironies is President Trump seems to have done the impossible, which, has, which is made the left sympathetic to the FBI and the CIA yes. and turned the right against them. I mean, it's always been the opposite. And so you have yep. people, including myself, who have been very critical of the intelligence agencies over the years and of the FBI so. over the years. I mean, you know, and suddenly now I find myself coming to bat for, you know, the former director of the FBI on this show. And it, and it does kind of surprise me. And I think that, I think that what really bothers me is that Instead of trying to make them better, President Trump is trying to destroy the American people's faith in law enforcement. Okay, I want to get back to that when we return. 1-800-723-8210. And also, somebody else got fired last week. Rex Tillerson, the Secretary of State. There was no press conference. There was just a tweet. Was that the right thing to do to the Secretary of State? Back shortly. Are you planning for the day when you can retire to your dream home in Palm Springs, California? A day surrounded by spectacular scenery, golf courses, a rich cultural life, and great dining? If you are, you'll need a guide, someone who knows where to look, an experienced broker, someone who knows the desert communities of Southern California and all they have to offer. That person is Brian Beard, who's been making dreams come true for over 13 years, selling over $100 million in real estate, including celebrity and architecturally significant homes to the rich and famous, and more importantly, to people just like you. Brian's company, Caldwell Banker, has agents worldwide, but Brian Beard is your man in Palm Springs. Call Brian now at 760-799-7096. That's 760-799-7096. Or visit him online at bryansellsthedesert.com. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. You know, uh, for many, many months, we used to let each of our guests describe themselves and introduce themselves. And so we're going to go back to that format. We got a couple of uh, uh, email messages suggesting we go back to that. So we do that tonight. And Ryan Yantis, tell, uh, tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Hi, I'm Ryan Yanis. I'm a retired Army officer. I'm a leadership coach, and I help people uh, deliver or develop leaders that deliver results. And I'm delighted to be here tonight, Bruce. Art Sear, you've been on this program for over 30 years, but for those people that have just seen you for the first time, give us a little background. I teach at Carthage College, a fine liberal arts institution in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Our Clawson Center for World Business is named after Tom Clawson, who ran Bank of America twice and in between the World Bank. And Doug Truex was always discreet in his public comments, as far as I can tell. <laughs> Doug Truex also joins us. Go ahead. Hi, Doug Truex. Um, background is I uh, went to West Point, six years active duty Army. Uh, went out in the corporate world after that, started my own business. Uh, still have that today. Uh, ran for U.S. Senate here in Illinois in 2014. Wasn't successful, but uh, used that experience to start Restoration PAC and Restoration Action, and we're involved in Senate races around the country, uh, conservative uh, PAC. And making her first appearance is Cecile Shea. Cecile? 
Um, hi, um, nice to be here. I run a firm that does international crisis response and international risk management. Um, I opened the firm after retiring from the U.S. Diplomatic Corps, and I am a senior fellow at the Chicago Council on Global Affairs. Very good. we got a great panel tonight. Uh, during the break, uh, Doug, you were taking exception to some things that Cecile had said in the last segment. So put it on that record. Yeah, so the, the point I was making was that uh, if this Andrew McCabe, you know, it, it, I think it's real. Um, and, and so there's other things that happened. Clapper, it just was, came out that Clapper was the one who leaked the dossier, got it out into circulation. So to the point of, yeah, the tweeting and all that, but if you go back and you look at I think he, Trump is the, the guy that they would not have wanted in that spot. And so ever since that happened, um, and, and, and I think Obama knew about all this, too, way back in the day, when this was all after Trump got election, elected and this all started leaking out, I think Obama was involved, and we'll see how that plays out. But there's going to be more to come on all this, because I think that there was, you know, however you want to call, call it, the swamp, deep state, whatever else, I think you had a lot of key high-level uh, appointees, or, and, and they were working against him constantly, and so it adds to... Um, the venom that you see coming from some of these things today. Cecile, response? Yeah, you know, I think that this is one reason that we really need to see the Mueller report, because we mm -hmm. just don't know what actually happened. And perhaps these folks were just out to get President Trump for no reason or because they don't like him. Perhaps they were aware that there were things going on in the campaign that were really a threat to our democracy, whether or not President Trump knew they were happening. There's now considerable evidence that the Russians were trying to make contacts with people in his family, President Trump's family, and people around him. So at the end of the day, what we really need is we need to know what Mueller finds, and I hope that this report is made public. Mm -hmm. There's no requirement that it's made public, interestingly, but I think it's important to our nation that it be made public, that we know which people did things that were wrong, and that we know exactly what happened for the sake of our electoral system. The other thing that's important is the, is the, uh, the Inspector General, Mr. Horowitz, because the, uh, the partisans on either side, they've not thrown brickbats at Mr. Horowitz. Mm. I mean, there's some people in the country that think that, you know, uh, Mueller is just out to get the president. So they may have a built-in response negatively to whatever Mueller has to say. But th there is no, there's no opposition out there, at least that I'm aware of, to the Horowitz report, the inspector general who has had 450 investigators looking at this. I don't know the makeup of, that, of those 450 people, but again, this is, this is, this is an inspector general appointed by Barack Obama, mm -hmm. but I have not heard one Republican or one Democrat say anything negatively about Mr. Horowitz. Mm -hmm. That may be the most objective of all the investigations that are going on right now. And, and those reports usually are public. There's usually an yes. unclassified public version, and then there's usually a classified non-public version. So I agree with you completely. It needs to be made public and as soon as possible. And the only thing that hampers Mr. Horowitz and the IG is they lack subpoena power and yes. the ability to reach out and engage somebody who's left federal service uh, unless there's voluntary uh, compliance. Right. So, but, histo but historically, the inspector general's reports, mm. I and mean, this goes back decades, oh, yeah. They, they've never been, their credibility has never been besmirched, to my knowledge. And they can lead to prosecution. And they, they, can, lead, lead to they prosecution. can lead to, but they, yeah. they lack they those certain... they can be devastating in the court of for them. public opinion. We're, Let's we're, go to, we're going to go to the radio. Let's, uh, callers, Chet, listening to us in Valparaiso, Indiana. Go ahead, you're on the air, Chet. Hey, thanks for taking my call. I'm listening to this, and I'm <laughs> extremely disgusted. I can't wait to see some of our high-level public officials perp walk 
And uh, if it was up to me, I think we ought to institute some uh, <coughs> for some of these people. Uh, no one wants to talk about this. Michael Flynn, his civil rights were violated to the point where he's got a cop of plea. He lost his home, and no one's crying about him. Andrew McCabe, at the least, should go to jail, in my opinion. And a lot of people that I know that are in law enforcement and are attorneys, <laughs> when you look at what's going on, these are high-level officials of the FBI, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, that are out on a witch hunt to destroy people's lives and careers because of a difference of political opinion. This Storch and this other clown that he was having an affair with are a disgrace. And that's what middle America thinks what's going on here. So I can't wait. This is, I hope this is just Hopefully there's many more. I thank you for your call. Let's go to Rick in Nashville, Tennessee. You're on Beyond the Beltway. Hey, great show as usual on Sunday night. Thank Bruce, you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, for your for your uh, your guest, uh, Cecile Shea, she suggested that the FBI should have waited to fire Andrew uh, McCabe. How, how long can they wait? Tonight at midnight, he retires. You cannot fire a person that's retired. So that's that's kind of a mood issue. Also, did we forget that it was? Uh, Peter Strzok and his girlfriend, Lisa Page, that were texting about being in Andy's office discussing, uh, discussing scenarios to dump the president, to get the dirt on the president. This is a needing Needing insurance. They, they needed an insurance plan in case the American yes. people voted for Donald Trump. <clears throat> exactly. You know, this is just, in, in my estimation, this is just one giant conspiracy that McCabe brought the the, the government the the powers of the government, law enforcement specifically, to bear on the on the Trump administration to try to get rid of them at all costs. I believe the whole lot of them should be marched out. McCabe, uh, Comey, Rowenstein, Bruce Orr, Loretta Lynch, all these people. Peter Scorch. Giant. Peter. Yes. George and, and Lisa uh, Page. Page. Uh, this is as clear as the, you know as a nose on your face. What's going now on? Now let me ask you. Let me ask you this question because you've identified. Are you in law enforcement? Are you alluded to law enforcement? Are you in law yes, enforcement? I, I, okay. Here's I retired a, after 32 years. Okay. Uh, thank you for your service. But let me ask you this question. There are many people out there. Some in the media. A lot in the media, and certainly many Democrats who think that, that these ongoing challenges and, and are besmirching the reputation of all law enforcement and the FBI, and that you really cannot criticize to the level that they're being criticized without being perceived as being anti-law enforcement. Your response? Well, they had no problem criticizing the police officers in Ferguson, Missouri, or in Baltimore, <clears throat> or in New York City. So it's just a convenient excuse when they want to play that play the race card or play you know play that card okay thanks for your call we're going to move to spokane washington mike listening to us on kxly go ahead hey thanks bruce congratulations congratulations chicago Loyola basketball team sweet 16 (laughs) and congratulations to gonzaga 
That's yeah, we're both there you go. Those Catholics know how to play basketball. Go ahead. Uh-huh. <laughs> Who was your first sister? didn't now, mean that you, the way it do sounded. You have, do you do we're you have all any, uh, Do you have any uh, any sister Nothing that's on the staff there that's uh, blessing Gonzaga like uh, Loyola's being blessed by the, by the sister in Chicago? Well, we must have something. We got some Jesuits to do some playing well, out here. Well, you've got a great basketball. What can we do for you tonight? I know we're not we're not talking well, Final Four now, but go ahead. Okay, thanks, Bruce. Well, you know one good one good thing with all the chaos and changes in the White House is the Russians and Chinese always have to update their files. <laughs> but um, President Trump has been in office over a year. He has helped the military. He brought North Korea to the bargaining table. The economy's better. Um, President Trump has appointed pro-life judges. But Mike Pence uh, is a strong supporter of Trump. Uh, He believes in his policies. Uh, Let Pence become president. It would end the chaos in the White House now and and, uh, untie the knots. Reaction. Doug, your reaction to that? Uh, I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> I just, uh, we just got to stick to the plan here. I mean, he's, you know, uh, everybody, you know, Trump got elected, and um, I'm sure people would love to see different things happen. But uh, do yeah, you think I want to? I want to ask you. This is obviously we're trying to go inside the president's head, which is not an easy <laughs> thing to do. But uh, the, the the recent response, just like in the last 72 hours since the firing of McCain, the other thing that's happened in that time period, or maybe a couple of days before is that uh, Donald Jr. Was, was served with divorce papers. I mean, uh, he's, he's dealing with the issue of uh, Stormy Daniels. He's dealing with the fallout of Stormy Daniels in his, relationships, in his relationship with his wife and his son. Um, we're, we're, we're dismissing the, the, the personal response, the personal baggage, you will, the, almost the, the battery that's taking place on this guy. Can he withstand that? Is it healthy? Do you, well, Ryan, I don't, think, do I don't think it's healthy. For the past several weeks, I've been listening to uh, progressive talk radio and reading sources I normally don't. Yeah. They hate Pence more than they hate Trump. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think that would be a good solution for Trump to step aside and okay. view Pence. We're going to pause back shortly from Chicago. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, The Experience. Tuesday through Sundays, and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv. Come on back in Chicago. Let's go to Scott in Austin, Texas, listening to us on KLBJ. Go ahead. You're on the air. KLBJ. Hi, how's it going? Um, okay. First of all, I'm, I, am an active, I am an active police officer right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm part of military. And as someone like that, a regular person, I understand that when Trump talks about the corruption in law enforcement, he's talking about people like Brennan and, Mc, and McCabe and Comey. He's not talking about regular intelligence people, regular cops. That, that's not an insult to us. The insult to us is these idiots uh, abusing their power and getting away with it. I mean, why isn't McCabe being charged for lying when he lied? I mean, you do that to everybody else. Right. Also, it's kind of insulting that 
um, Mueller, the greatest detective in the world, has finally figured out something the Russians have been doing since, what, the 1930s? I mean, how hard was this investigation to do? And now that he's found out that there was no collusion, what's he investigating now? I mean, I wouldn't be able to get away with that kind of stuff. Why don't, you know, his, his job is done. Why doesn't he leave? Mm-hmm. We don't know if he's Does found he? out that there's no collusion yet. We don't know what he's what found is, out. I, I will what, say... What, well, we he, 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 he hasn't found out about it yet. But let me ask you. Or me, he may have found out about it, and the one the one organization in Washington that does not leak is his office. To their credit, they they lead a very tight ship. There are a lot of sealed indictments out there soon. Still, we don't know we don't know whose names are on those indictments. Mm-hmm. Scott, let me ask you this: as a law enforcement officer, the indictments uh, that that came down uh, by Mueller, even though there's indictments against people that are never going to be extradited, so these people are never going to spend a day in prison. At least the revelation in those indictments, was that not a significant piece of investigatory information that the American people should know? No, the rest has been doing this for almost 100 years. Of course they were trying to infiltrate the... Uh, or affect our uh, deal. Our no, but the chap, but but forever. Scott, the, the 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 specific evidence, the chapter and verse that were referenced in those indictments, that only came as a result of an investigation. And was that? I'm going to ask Doug Truex. Wasn't that good, Doug? That the American people know some of those specifics. I think it's it's nice to have it out there. But the point of the matter is, it's like this collusion thing. It goes on and on. Yeah. And to the, yeah. I, I hear what you're saying about the timing. But okay, so what does that mean? We go forever? You know, at some point, do we just stop this yeah. well, because it hurts hurting well, the country? Go ahead, Ryan. And I wish I had the the fact to cite, but uh, every human uh, that's in the United States, on an average, breaks two and a half laws a day, uh, whether it's a they misdemeanor or a felony. Mm-hmm. And okay, is it a federal? You know, growing up out west in in California. Uh, you're a Boy Scout walking across the meadow, you can break a couple of federal laws. What's enforceable, what's uh, reasonable, and and that's what comes to it. Well, it's hard to be a police officer. It is. It's tough for cops. Putting it another way. Wait a minute. A month ago, he came out with an indictment. The Justice Department said there was no intentional collusion on the part of any American. That pretty much tells me that investigation is over. So either they're lying to us about it or they're just keeping this as a fishing expedition. This is wrong. Oh, yeah, it's a fishing expedition. That's, that's the point. That's what these things are. They are fishing expeditions. You're absolutely right to put it that way, sir. Since Watergate, fishing expeditions, see if you can nail our opponent. That's what they are. This is not a criminal investigation. So when you, when you look at, I want to stay on the line, Scott. When you look at uh, the, the Whitewater investigation that Ken Starr was involved in, it was four years into that investigation before Monica Lewinsky popped up on the radar screen. So my question to you is, given that we already have someone on the radar screen, Stormy Daniels, could this could, <laughs> could Mueller continue to expand this to include can't, the Stormy Daniels affair <clears throat> or alleged affair? Justify bad behavior by pointing to other bad behavior. I mean, what they did to Clinton that was wrong, and what they're doing now with with this investigation is wrong. Just because they did it to somebody else doesn't mean they have the right to do it to, this, to the new guy. I mean, okay. how how, do, how does that work? Well, and I think uh, Ms. Daniels and her uh, uh, engagement alleged with the president took place before he became a candidate. Uh, and, you know, it's a matter that involves uh, non-disclosure agreements and uh, other legal matters but if, unrelated but to there, the election. But there's a potential but election, if, thank but election you, issue. Thank but, you for a clear and specific yeah. dismissal if of this point. To, uh, Why don't, if, you, if you want to look at something that's impeachable, 
when McCabe did it, did his impeachable because he broke the law only because he was he had that office. But you know, that that is what a high crime is. He could not have done what he's done except for that he was a, a, a big wig in the FBI and he broke the law and we all know it. But they're not investigating that. They're not punishing him for that. That's wrong. They, they need to stop this stuff and do their job. Okay, thanks for your call. We do appreciate it. To follow up on what you had to say, Ryan, Ryan uh, if, if, if Mueller, as you said, Mueller you don't think would, would look into the Stormy Daniels issue, I might argue the other side because if he is now subpoenaing <laughs> subpoena out for the, the Trump Organization records, which according mm-hmm. to the public records he's done, I mean, all of that, much of that stuff happened long before he ever ran for president. So why would not the Stormy Daniels... Uh, matter be part of this net well and i just don't think that it's applicable as far as any active uh alleged criminal malfeasance by the the current potus when he was businessman pre-candidate trump unless so, the pay, unless the payoff to her came in preparation for his run for the president and then I, my understanding is it could be a violation of federal election But law. if it comes from his own funds. It's still yeah. against the law. No. Yeah. No, but it was from the lawyer. The lawyer did it without the president knowing. Well, see, knowing this is the question. But yeah. did the president know about it? If the president knew about it, then the president was breaking federal election law. If the, if the lawyer did it knowing he was breaking federal election law, then the lawyer broke the law. But also Whitewater was way before Clinton became right. a president of the United States, too. It was part of the back... I mean, they went they went way way back to investigate those hmm. charges. So, I was kind of busy being an army officer yeah, during that time, protecting so, uh, uh, protecting the country. Uh, and the, the and a sitting president perjured himself. That's what they nailed him on. Yeah. The public, yes. especially women, interestingly enough, the public did not want this to go forward. The president's popularity skyrocketed among female voters. Among male voters, it declined slightly. But nobody except the Republicans in the Congress, especially the Senate, wanted this prosecution and you're right it had nothing to do with whitewater no it had no exhibit a exhibit a of why the special prosecutor is such a disastrous and corrupting notion so the idea of having a second one to investigate the fbi and their handling of the clinton foundation matters is totally off the table for you that's not what i said bruce Well, you don't want another. You don't. You think special investigators are? are yeah, a special prosecutors. Somehow, the Great Republic survived before Watergate. We had one during the Grant administration, but that was it. Let the legal system play out, and let's should talk be, about let's talk about policy. The sexual obsession is this March. Goodman Theater artistic director Robert Falls presents a thrilling new production of Ibsen's timely classic, An Enemy of the People. When a water contamination crisis puts their town in peril. Two brothers face off in a battle of political ambitions and moral integrity. The fate of the community hangs in the balance. The Village Voice raves, an enemy of the people is exhilarating to experience. An enemy of the people at Goodman Theater. March 10th through April 15th. Tickets at goodmantheater.org. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live. The experience. Tuesday through Sundays and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv.
Are you planning for the day when you can retire to your dream home in Palm Springs, California? A day surrounded by spectacular scenery, golf courses, a rich cultural life, and great dining? If you are, you'll need a guide, someone who knows where to look, an experienced broker, someone who knows the desert communities of Southern California and all they have to offer. That person is Brian Beard, who's been making dreams come true for over 13 years, selling over $100 million in real estate, including celebrity and architecturally significant homes to the rich and famous, and more importantly, to people just like you. Brian's company, Caldwell Banker, has agents worldwide, but Brian Beard is your man in Palm Springs. Call Brian now at 760-799-7096. That's 760-799-7096. Or visit him online at briansellsthedesert.com. <clears throat> Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Thanks for joining us on Beyond the Beltway. Um, well, early last week, the big story was that Rex Tillerson had been fired as the Secretary of State, and then so much happened after that, it pushed that story uh, to the back of the news. But I want to talk uh, on, about that subject right now because not so much about what happened to Rex Tillerson, but what is likely to happen in the future. And uh, Cecile Shea is with us uh, this evening, and she is with the Chicago Council on Global Affairs. She's had a, a terrific career also in the diplomatic corps, so she has a lot of experience in Asia and many parts of the world. Uh, my question to you is, um, with the departure of Rex Tillerson, and the fact that Mike Pompeo has been named the Secretary of State by the President and a new CIA director coming in, um, they both have to go through Senate confirmation. Do you believe at this moment that, that absent those three people being able to focus entirely uh, on, on planning for the, uh, the North Koreans and, and the summit with the North Koreans, are we going to be ready? Is it possible for us to have our act together when we sit down with Kim Jong-un? So in preparation for Richard Nixon going to China in the early 70s, Henry Kissinger engaged in three years of intensive negotiations surrounded by all sorts of experts to iron out every little piece of what the agreement between our two countries was going to be, what President Nixon would talk about with his counterpart there. Every little thing was worked out. And then President Nixon went to China, and it was historic. Now... And, and, and that was with Henry Kissinger at the helm. We now have a situation at the State Department with no Secretary of State. Of five undersecretary positions at the State Department, only one is filled at the moment. Of ten assistant secretary positions on substantive issues, I think four are filled at the moment. The chief negotiator with the North Koreans retired for family reasons two weeks ago, so that job is open. So it's not just that there's no Secretary of State. The ranks are so thin, and Rex Tillerson bears some of the blame for that. The White House bears the rest of the blame for that. The ranks are so thin, even if they had three years, they wouldn't have the people to do the negotiations. So what can be – oh, by the way, there's no ambassador in South Korea also. So what they can accomplish between now and May is is really – a you know, up for grabs, I don't think they can accomplish very much. Explain to the audience uh, who there may be some Trump supporters out there 
that they believe that, the, that we have the president that we wanted who said – I mean, he said that he'd be willing to sit down right. with, uh, with North Korea, he and he's doing May. it. He's yeah. following through on a lot of his promises. Right. But again, take us inside. You've just explained in detail right. uh, what happened with, with Nixon and Kissinger. But there's a lot of people that may be listening to this show that would just say, hey, you know, not that we're going to wing it, but maybe we don't need that preparation. That that was the way you used to do it in the old days. And, again, if you've got Donald Trump, you're shaking your head, Art. I don't want to interrupt you. Please no, but, no, but I, I want to get yeah. your reaction, everybody's, re- everybody's reaction, to whether or not – I don't want to use the word wing it, but yeah. we're going to definitely go in there with a less experienced team. Would so you acknowledge that, th- both? So here's the danger. Right now, the one thing that I know for sure is that Kim Jong-un is coming out of this meeting as a huge winner. That is the only thing. Already. That is, already. <clears throat> he is coming out a winner because he is going to get his photo taken with the president of the United States. And that is going to be a huge PR win inside North Korea with his, with his leadership. Is that a bad thing for us? Yes, it's a terrible thing for us. The last thing we need is to be strengthening Kim Jong-un inside North Korea. Ryan, secondly, you, but let me just – secondly, um, it's, going to, it's going to push the South Koreans closer to dealing with North Korea and further from us, which we have been trying to keep them working closely with us and right. not to push too forward. And it's going to scare the heavens out of the Japanese. So it, we have to be really careful that we, we – we don't make things worse. I mean, I think that there's certainly talking is always better than not talking. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be talking with the North Koreans. We should be talking, but we need to be sure that this turns out to be a win for us. Ryan Yantis, your response. Well, we've had uh, former presidents, if I'm not mistaken, go and visit North Korea. Uh, Presidents Carter and uh, Clinton both have been there. Uh, So the photo op uh, with former presidents has happened. Uh, If we had a situation where it's President Trump goes to North Korea and visits Pyongyang, uh, I, I agree that would be the wrong thing. But sitting down in a uh, neutral third country uh, to be determined and having a discussion uh, between heads of states, um, North Korea is so insular. Uh, they could Photoshop a, a picture of him <clears throat> meeting with Trump and just say it happened. And the 23 million peasants of North Korea would accept it as gospel. But North uh, Korea hasn't accepted it yet, right? I, I don't believe they have. They, there are indications that it is moving forward. Uh, but Art, what is your fear? I don't have any particular fears. I want to underscore how perceptive uh, my two fellow panelists are in both their comments. Uh, Cecile, as an experienced Foreign Service officer, is really a valuable resource. And it's worth saying on the air that since the 1970s, it's always a very tough job. And I've always enjoyed working with these dedicated people. It's also, you risk your life since, since the early 70s. Uh, Henry Kissinger's book, Diplomacy, speaking of the former secretary, lays out exactly what you should do relating to North Korea and other places. Uh, so to Nixon's multiple books... Um, Summarize. What did they say? Nixon, and what I will say, since uh, I don't want to take up the rest of your program <laughs> and I don't want to talk too long, uh, Nixon and Kissinger started issuing State of the World reports, modestly titled, starting in the first year of his administration. And they believed very strongly that at this point in the Cold War, four decades ago, we should start letting other countries take the lead. I believe, to actually answer your question, that President Moon is a remarkably able leader, um, the right kind of successor to President Park. The poor woman may be going to prison. She's already locked up. But I think the more we can, it's their peninsula, their country, the more we can actually follow the lead of the South Koreans, the better. 
thank you for the opportunity. Doug, your response, uh, what are your fears or hopes for a summit with North Korea? Uh, well, I, I, as we got along here, I've just, I've always been saying that we needed to get them to a place where we had some substantive action here because oh. <clears throat> for them to move to a place where they have nuclear weapons, obviously, and then they can put them on an ICBM, as soon as we get to that place, then we're just going to have a conflict with them. We're going to have a military conflict with them. So I'm with you. I don't want to give them an opportunity to, you know, uh, score one against us. Uh, but this is be, this beats the alternative, and um, I do think we're in a time now. You know, I, I, the only thing that I, I, I hear you talk about getting ready for China. Well, it's a big difference between China and North Korea, and so some of this may come down to Trump's personality against that guy's personality, and we're going to see how this is going to play out. And I hope I hope it does. I hope it comes out to the point of hey, this they're going to disarm. He sees the writing on the wall. He's got to get out of this thing, and he's got an exit plan that we can help him with, and it all it all fizzles out. Now, a name that has popped up frequently, it's, it pops up frequently, uh, you know, off and on, and that's John Bolton. That mm-hmm. John Bolton will take on a, a, a position, perhaps replacing uh, General McMaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you support that? Because you're a big Bolton fan, are you? I not? am, yeah, absolutely. I think that he sees it uh, clearly, and I think that he's not going to jump the gun on anything, but he he's willing to say what it is, and I think he's a hardliner. And I think, well, he's a realist about what's actually going on, not about what we want to have happen, but what is actually happening. And I think he'll, he'll do a good job. When we come back, I want to talk about the rest of that team and whether or not the, uh, the departure of McMaster would be devastating at this point. He's been on the ropes for quite some time. The president has not fired him yet. And I want to get reaction from the guests here this evening, whether that's a good idea in case the president's listening. Back shortly from Chicago. This March, Goodman Theater Artistic Director Robert Falls presents a thrilling new production of Ibsen's timely classic, An Enemy of the People. When a water contamination crisis puts their town in peril, two brothers face off in a battle of political ambitions and moral integrity. The fate of the community hangs in the balance. The Village Voice raves, An Enemy of the People is exhilarating to experience. An Enemy of the People at Goodman Theater. March 10th through April 15th. Tickets at goodmantheater.org. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Thanks very much for joining us tonight. Uh, Ryan, I want to get your reaction to uh, the possibility that General McMaster could be on his way out. And again, uh, as, as the United States prepares for this very important summit, uh, do you think there's any possibility that we would push it off until we were better suited, or would the president not admit to that? Yeah, I think uh, that the president is, likes the phrase, the art of the deal. And that he will stick to the timeline if there's an agreed-upon date and place to meet. Uh, he'll move heaven and earth to make sure that uh, the United States is there and represented. Uh, as far as McMaster, uh, I, I'm not claiming any inside knowledge. But from what I've seen, uh, and uh, I'm very impressed with Ms. McMaster's. Back when he was a line officer serving, he was one of the outside-of-the-box thinkers, no. uh, but still had a very strong sense of orthodoxy and could move people uh, to work well together. So you know, I think reports of his demise or imminent demise might be overstated. Do you think the, the, the relationship allegedly between he and General Mattis is very tight? Do you think that General Mattis could sort of weigh in with the president, who speaks very highly of the general, in, in saving McMaster, at least during this uh, period in, in the build-up to the summit meeting. I'm going to say that I haven't 
even less direct contact with uh, General mm-hmm. Mattis, uh, but I have a great deal of respect for him. Mm-hmm. And uh, most officers I know of, if they saw an opportunity to, to tell the president uh, or their boss, hey, sir, if you do this, uh, this is a possible negative outcome, he'd do it. But otherwise, he's going to wait, and if he's asked, he'll respond. But Cecile, um, what do you think of some of these players, the, the John Bolton, the McMaster, and also let's throw in Mike Pompeo, uh, the right. new head of, or, or the designate for Secretary of State, and also uh, Gina Haspel, the, uh, the first woman to head the CIA. Well, I know H.R. McMaster, and I like him. I have a lot of respect for his intellect. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of respect for the work. We were talking earlier about the immense pressure that President Trump is under, the immense pressure that all those people in the White House are under. Right. I mean, at some point, they are just going to be so physically exhausted, they can't properly do their jobs. Um, I think he's done a, a, a very good job in a very difficult circumstance, and I think he should stay. And I say that despite the fact that I disagree with him on some issues, such as the tough talk on North Korea. But I think it's okay to have people of varying opinions um, in a cabinet. He disagrees with General with um, General Mattis on some key issues, but it's okay that there's kind of that kind of a, of a debate going on inside the administration. Now, the um, confirmation hearings for state and the CIA are going to be very interesting. Tough, very tough. And um, there is a scenario where neither of them gets confirmed, actually. And, and Well, there's also a greater scenario that I don't know how they could be confirmed between now and, and mid-May yeah. when this summit is allegedly going to take place. Because there's the Easter break coming, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, you know, they've both... Um, the issue with with um, the CIA nominee is that she is associated with torture in these secret centers where we were waterboarding people in Thailand. Um, the um, by the way, there, there have been reports that have now been retracted by major news organizations that in their initial reporting they they tagged her with directing waterboarding, no. and they have backed away from that and said that was an erroneous report. Mm-hmm. She she was. So we don't know exactly what she did, and this is where the hearings are going to be very, very important. Um, so that's going to be an interesting one. And then um, and then Mr. Pompeo's um, hearings on all sorts of issues. I, I believe today that the libertarian senator, Rand Paul, I think he has came come out, out against both of them. came out against both of them. And if Senator McCain is not there to vote or votes no, which he may. Um, he would definitely vote no. He I would believe. vote no. Um, you know, he they, issued a very strong statement denouncing her uh, and, 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 and waterboarding uh, when her name was first mentioned. Right. Well, and I don't know that he has said what, how he would vote on Pompeo, but he could vote no on Pompeo, too. So it right. could be a you know, it could be a really difficult hearing and, and a difficult vote, in which case you're right. We don't know with the Easter break coming. We don't know if they'll even be there. And then the fourth question is John Bolton. You know, one of the most important jobs of a national security advisor is to make sure that the rest of the National Security Council gets together, comes to compromises. That person has to dis- – when two agencies, when state and defense or state and energy disagree, it's the national security advisor who comes to some kind of a, mm-hmm. a, a an agreement. And that is really not John Bolton's forte. He is not the kind of guy who brings people together, and he's definitely not the kind of guy Good who point. helps – build compromise my way or the highway with him. yeah and he he creates he you know when he was at state he created enemies and other agencies so 
I'm having a hard time picture him being extremely successful as a national security advisor in that really important role. I also don't think that he would get along with the president very well. I mean, his name has been mentioned almost from the day Donald Trump was elected for some position. He's been passed over a lot. And one one thing that's been attributed to the president, that he hates his mustache. He hates his mustache. So he could be long until he shaves his mustache. He's totally out. He's also a prima donna. Who? The president or... uh both of them. Both of them. Which can be a problem. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. They, yeah. they don't get along well. And there was a weird story yesterday planted by someone saying that President really likes John Bolton because he thinks that John Bolton is so fabulous on television. And I don't personally consider John Bolton that fabulous on television. So yeah. I don't know who is feeding some of this information to the press. Yes. What, about the, what about the personalities involved here? And uh, can, again, I go back to a question I asked in the last segment. Can, can, we, can we as a nation get our act together? Or do you think the president is not going to view that preparation? I mean, the president has never viewed any preparation as important. Quite right. Why would he, uh, why would he listen to what Cecile said tonight? He's brilliant on stage, and it's actually a blessing so far. It could be a disaster, but he doesn't actually do very much. There's been no effort to send the 82nd Airborne into federal courts, for example. There's yeah. been no aggressive presidential leadership with Congress or anywhere. Um, everybody leaks in Washington all kinds of backstabbing goes on. Dean Rusk was Secretary of State for eight years, the longest serving except for Cordell Hull way back during the New Deal in World War II. The turbulent, violent 1960s, he was always on his way out. Uh, Important to keep that in mind. I really admire H.R. McMaster. At 73 Easting in the first Gulf War, he operated brilliantly as a field commander. In Washington, you need now more than ever people who are not from academia and not from think tanks and not pure theoretical types. Uh, his book, Their Election of Duty, from a very, very, the most junior possible level among Army officers, it was 2020 hindsight, but it rang true concerning what went wrong in Vietnam. I am a huge fan of his, and he says what he thinks, which every president needs, but especially this incumbent. Yep. I, uh, I certainly agree with that. Now, well, thank you. where... Where should this meeting take place? Doug Truax, <laughs> give, um, give, us your, give us a few places where it should take place. Uh, Guantanamo Bay, you think that would be okay? <laughs> <laughs> Get him there. Uh, be safe. Yeah. You know, I hadn't put a lot of thought into that. Uh, I, I, I guess I can picture it. I don't know about the place, though. I, I, I would suppose it would have to be, uh, you know, some kind of middle ground out there between us and them. I used to do equal, equal distance. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly, Guam. Guam. Yeah. Arch, where Arch, MacArthur where met President Truman, go to Guam. There you go. Uh, Another difficult dictator. Yeah, but that would be that would be on our soil. So I don't think they they, they would go there. Where do you think they should? Well, I was trying. To I don't know. Funny. I'm going to. I'm getting going to be guess. on the DMZ. It's the only that, place. That's what I thought. Because I thought. Kim Jong Un is not going to leave North Korea. Mm, that's a good he point. is not yeah. going to want to leave North Korea because he's going to think something bad's going to happen <laughs> while he's out of the country. Probably correctly. <laughs> and so, and the president should the think that way too with this guy. Yeah. Uh, that's why I I think it should be at the DMZ. Uh, Ryan, what do you think? Uh, I may have been uh, not reading correctly, but I thought there was talks uh, about Sweden. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sweden, Switzerland, uh, Finland, Norway, any number, or or uh, India. It's a long way away. It's a long way away for both leaders, and it's neutral territory, <clears throat> just like Iceland was between the Soviet Union and the United States. What about I, I agree with Cecile. You know, the, the worry of, okay, little Kim being away from the, the family farm for a while, what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. And uh, What about, I'm going to offer another idea. Sure. What about if the meeting was in China? 
that would give us back some, give the Chinese back some face because one of the bad things mm-hmm. about the way this Good announcement idea. has happened is it has made the Chinese paranoid and it has caused them to lose some face because they are the people right next door. First of all, they're paranoid because their biggest fear in all of this is that we end up with a unified Korea with the U.S. with a U.S. military presence there. That terrifies them, understandably. So we need to figure out a way to bring them into this process and to show them that this isn't about, you know, the U.S. against China. You said so early afraid of a collapsed North Korea um, and, and the vacuum and all of the turbulence that that would cause to them. You said earlier in the broadcast you you, you mentioned Japan, and part of your background mm-hmm. is you've had some experience yeah. uh, in Japan. How sensitive do we have to be towards? what they want and what they're fearful of. Oh, extremely sensitive. And they are scared right now exactly because President Trump does kind of like to wing it and and go in without a full understanding of issues. <clears throat> and one of the scenarios that frightens them is that um, Kim Jong, um, President Kim Jong-un um, offers to shut down his ICBM program and scale back some of his nuclear program, and President <clears throat> Trump accepts that. And that would be great for the U.S. because the nuclear weapons could not reach the U.S. on missiles. It would be a disaster for Japan because both conventional and potentially nuclear weapons could reach Japan. And that's why we've always negotiated in tandem with the Japanese and with other people in the region because we want everybody to be safe. Last week on this program, I made a, a, a bizarre suggestion because the president listens to bizarre suggestions. And if, if we are asking uh, Kim Jong-un and the North Koreans to give up their nuclear program, yeah. and which is a big ask for us and it's a big give for them, yeah. then one thing that we could perhaps put on the table, which would drive a lot of people crazy, is if we were to say we're going to take all U.S. troops out of the DMZ and out of South Korea. I want everybody to think about that. We want to react to it. If you want to react to it, 1-800-723-8289. Is that too big a price to pay if we were to denuclearize North Korea? I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight. Are you planning for the day when you can retire to your dream home in Palm Springs, California? A day surrounded by spectacular scenery, golf courses, a rich cultural life, and great dining? If you are, you'll need a guide, someone who knows where to look, an experienced broker, someone who knows the desert communities of Southern California and all they have to offer. That person is Brian Beard, who's been making dreams come true for over 13 years, selling over $100 million in real estate, including celebrity and architecturally significant homes to the rich and famous, and more importantly, to people just like you. Brian's company, Caldwell Banker, has agents worldwide, but Brian Beard is your man in Palm Springs. Call Brian now at 760-799-7096. That's 760-799-7096. Or visit him online at briansellsthedesert.com. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Uh, we have our assembled guests, and I want to restate the question. Uh, if we're asking and we want North Korea to give up everything they have that's endangering us and endangering South Korea and endangering Japan, uh, that could be a very high price to be paid. And uh, a suggestion that I made is, what if the United States said, we're going to take all U.S. troops out of the Korean pen- Peninsula, take them all out? 
Nobody at the DMZ. Just take them out. <clears throat> Korea, South Korea, and North Korea could have their armies to prepare for whatever they have, they want to do. But obviously, in the spirit of this, the, the thought is that the two nations would would work better together, closer together, and the United States would uh, be totally out of the picture. Your response? I think that would be a disaster. First of all, it would make South Korea and Japan extremely fearful, and fear is never a good thing in terms of stability, and you want stability. Um, Secondly, keep in mind the South Korean economy is the 11th largest economy in the world, and a conventional war on the peninsula would put the entire planet in a deep depression, especially if that conventional war somehow included part of Japan. Mm-hmm. Kyushu is a major manufacturing center. It's, it's quite near to the peninsula itself. So we need to maintain um, peace and security on the Korean peninsula, both conventional and, and peace and security from conventional war as well as from nuclear war. I think your idea has merit in that we need to keep promising everybody that we are not there forever, and when there is stability and peace and probably a unified Korea on the peninsula, U.S. forces won't be necessary there. And the number one country that needs to hear that is China. But I think that for now, as long as North Korea has such an enormous conventional force, we need to be there to provide some help to the South Koreans. Ryan Antis, your response to my suggestion? Uh, I'm going to find myself surprisingly in agreement with Sue. If we did such an agreement, I would go back to the Ronald Reagan of trust but verify, and for every one or a dozen of their positive moves, then we remove one soldier, uh, U.S. soldier from South Korean soil. Uh, The Kim family, uh, and I've said this previous visits here, is a kleptocracy. It is as much a feudal dynasty as uh, we saw in Europe, but they have modern weapons, planes, and nuclear weapons. Mm human rights violations that beggar the mind and they can't be trusted. One of my concerns if President Trump sits down with little Kim is uh, they've already demonstrated the ability to put VX, which is a nerve agent, on a target. And and that's a big risk. I'll defer. Art Sear, your response to my suggestion. It's a wonderful imaginative question and very, very thought-provoking. Thank you very much. Uh, Cecile especially, I think, makes good points. Um, it's a UN command. We tend sometimes to forget about the rest of the world. As the United Nations command, we have been in charge of it. It's fully legitimate under international law. This would really be apples and oranges. North would Korea's, they follow our advice North if we Korea, recommended it? How excuse me, it? North Korea is a renegade regime. I don't know, but the reality is that we can do it unilaterally and maintain our status as a law-abiding nation. North Korea, we would at some level be legitimizing North Korea, a renegade regime that's breaking U.N. sanctions and U.N. declarations by launching these nuclear weapons and testing them. The ROC Army can take care of themselves. I don't think it's a wonderful question, but we need not worry about the ability of South Korea. It's a tough, tough, I mean extraordinarily able military organization in the true sense, war-fighting organization, closely allied with the U.S., whatever problems we might have. I mean, really good friends. They have 50,000 troops in Vietnam, all combat troops throughout our tenure there. We, uh, it's a very, very good question, though, because we should be debating and discussing this. Most important point... But if they're so, but the, if they're so, if they're so strong, as you say, then why do we have to have American well, troops there? Because it shows that it's not just the South Koreans on their own. 
It's a stabilizing force, and it helps legitimize the U.N., as did the initial intervention in 50. The armistice has held since 53, final point. The armistice has held. There's, we worry about war. There's been peace since 50, 53. Doug Truax, I want to get your response yeah, to my I, suggestion. I'd, I'd be super happy to see that happen. I don't think it, it will. Uh, the, the bar is too high to even think about no, leaving. And I think the, the idea here, for, from my perspective, is you have the Chinese president who's trying to install himself as a dictator, and um, however this shakes out, we have to, I'm, I'm all about peace through strength. Yeah. We have to stay there. We have to be a stabilizing force in that region because, you know, unless, of course, the Chinese join in with, uh, you know, the sunshine and the rainbows and everything that we're talking about here, uh, which is not going to happen. So we have to keep our folks there. Okay. Well, I think, I think part of it would be is to have the, have the summit meeting in China to sort of engage them, as, as uh, yeah, Cecile be, said. Yeah. My only response, another response from a, from a political standpoint, you, you talked about the, uh, um, the United Nations and, and being part of that. This president is not a huge fan of the United Nations, and one of the things that he said during the campaign, and he's kept a lot of his promises, <clears throat> that he wants to he wants to bring troops home. He's questioning why we have so many but, troops on foreign soil. But he's backed off to soil. his credit and to Shinzo Abe's credit, who flew over here as soon as President Trump said that and tried to explain to him what, what the troops are doing in Japan and in Korea. Uh, the president has backed off of that now, and he says that he now thinks that having troops, particularly in Asia, are important. He is increasingly understanding of why our troops in Europe are important. So that's good news. He still makes these really troubling threats. And I think he did one today or yesterday again where he said that if the South Koreans don't come to a trade agreement with us, maybe he'll pull all of our troops out of South Korea. Well, our troops aren't in South Korea because it's good for the South Koreans. I mean, that is a very nice aspect. Our troops are in South Korea because it's good for America. Our troops are in Japan because it's good for America. Our troops are in Europe because it's very good for America. And I wish he would understand that and stop making these threats, which no one takes seriously anymore. That's one of the problems when you make threats like that too often. Good for, good for us partly because the host country supports them. We're like the Roman Empire since Lyndon Johnson. Germany, Japan, South Korea, other, they provide Especially basic the support Koreans, for our troops. South Koreans and the oh. Japanese provide billions and billions of dollars every Yokohama year. Should base. Japan be uh, building up militarily at this particular they are. point? They have a very good military. They don't call it a military. They call it a self-defense force, but it is the best equipped military in the region. They have all the best equipment. They're now buying um, F-35s, Joint Strike Fighters. Uh, they have very highly trained troops. They are dealing with their own historical legacies, but they are, they are working through that. So if you are an American and, yes. you, and you don't like the idea of U.S. troops being sprinkled all over the world, you just said the, the Japanese army is great, this, this South Korean army is great. Uh, why don't they fight their own battles? Well, because Shouldn't they fight their own battles. Letting countries fight their own battles in Asia has turned out to be very costly for the United States. Yeah. And having the United States there guaranteeing security since the end of World War II has led to a period of of unprecedented economic growth for the United States and security for the United States. We paid a terrible price price in the Vietnam War. We lost a lot of people in the Korean War, but overall, we have seen we have seen peace and stability in the region and countries getting along and moving forward. And it has created markets for the U.S., stability for us, and we aren't losing tens of thousands of young men and women fighting wars there. You made it. Go ahead, Ryan. The last time we, we withdrew American forces out of South Korea in bulk was uh, 1949 to 1950. 
And in uh, June 25th, 1950 was when uh, Kim I decided that his troops needed to roll south. So he sent the right. telegram to Stalin right. and let uh, Mao know, and, and then he embarked. Uh, now, that's history. But just like uh, I think it was Admiral Gillespie got the, the call from Saddam and his folks, hey, how do you feel about Kuwait? They're annoying us. Well, that's your, your business. Saddam rolled into Kuwait. The American troops on the ground are prepositioned American assets, and we're, we're uh, kind of a surety bond, if you will, that tells other countries, we have interests here, don't mess with this. And if it is Pax Americana, I can live with that. I spent uh, the better part of my military career on foreign soil representing U.S. interest. And, and it's not all that it, – it is expensive, but it's worth it. You said, Art, that uh, there's, there, there's, there, there's been an armistice, but there was no peace treaty signed at the end of the Korean conflict. Mm-hmm. Is that something that could be a, a goal for the president in his discussions with Kim Jong-un? Is yeah, that- and actually it's an even more important point because uh, about three years ago, Kim in one of his wild public statements uh, denounced the armistice and t- effectively tore it up and said it no longer exists and we're in a state of war. So an actual peace treaty between North Korea and the U.N. would be a very good idea. That's a very good point. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I hadn't thought of that. You yeah. think of that idea, I mean, Cecile? Ab- yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, what, what people in the trade call a soft landing, which is a peaceful you know, demise of the North Korean regime and rejoining with South Korea and unification on the Korean Peninsula, that is everyone's goal and dream. It will be enormously expensive but worth it. That is everyone's dream. Whether it is realistic right now. I I just don't think so. Not with Kim Jong-un, but you know, other people have surprised us in the past. So we'll see what happens. And I was going to say, yeah. And I, what what do you think though about uh, his personal situation internally? I mean, do you, I see a guy who may be waking up to the reality that I don't know this is going to last for me because who knows? That's a pretty, it's the mafia in there and and, and they can come to, so you're you're referring to North Korea, not to Washington. (laughs) Come on, (laughs) so we don't, we have no idea why Kim has offered to, to have this meeting with the president. I mean, there's three, like, if it's true, if it's true, there's three big possibilities. And one of them is that he's got something internally going on and he needs to end these sanctions and get some hard capital there Mm -hmm. because he's scared that his people are after him. So that's one of the scenarios. So, but he clearly wants something. I mean, he yes. wants something now that the world did not know he wanted two weeks ago or, or he's three just weeks afraid ago. of Trump and Mattis and they're going to I do mean, so something. So that's a possibility, mm-hmm. and that would be wanting not to be blown up, right? Mm-hmm. So, sure. yes, I mean, that's one of the three possibilities. One is that he needs food or fuel or hard currency, and one is that he just wants the photo op. So, you know, we just don't but know what he wants. Do we all agree that if he does agree to denuclearize, the United States can't take him out? That's the question. When we come back, we'll get the response and take your falls at 1-800-723-8289. And when I say take them out, I mean take them out. Next word. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, The Experience. Tuesday through Sundays and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv. 
Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Let's go to Nick in El Paso listening to us on KTSM. Go ahead. Uh, good evening, gentlemen. Hello. When I was a U.S. Marine station in Okinawa, Japan, uh, during Jimmy Carter's administration, Jimmy Carter tried to do that, put, uh, pull out U.S. troops, and uh, the commanding general at that time in, in South Korea resigned in protest because he, uh, he thought he would start another war. We, the Philippines and Vietnam are two examples of what not to do. The Philippines wish well, we could be there at Clark Air Base and a Subic Base. I, I hate paying for the, for the same ground with American blood again, like Patton said. Mm-hmm. But, but the, I can't remember the two-star general that resigned in protest mm-hmm. uh, back then in the late 70s. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, listen, thank you for your call and for your service. I think the one, the, one of the reasons why I mentioned it is that the president likes to do, you know, things out of the blue. So, I mean, he could come up with something. I mean, I think you've all agreed here and stated reasons why you think it's not a good idea. You think it's sort of a good idea, but sort of too, too Pollyannish, uh, Doug. But uh, that, that's the type of thing that we sort of expect from this president. And the fact that he's even going to go and meet with this guy, I just think the dynamics of the two individuals, just watching that, and figuring out how how each of them views each other is going to be you know, an incredible story to watch. Another incredible story to watch is uh, Russia. I think we can safely say that Vladimir Putin has been reelected uh, as we're doing this broadcast. But again, he's uh, shown his ugly side. Uh, and last week, uh, Theresa May uh, in Britain, uh, she came down hard. Uh, uh, taking many uh, Russian uh, diplomats and uh, uh, business people in uh, England and uh, throwing them out of the country uh, in retaliation for what she believes was the Kremlin's uh, poisoning of uh, two uh, former agents. So my question to you, Ryan, we'll start with you on this one. Um, Are we responding strongly enough to this incident as a nation supporting what the, what the Brits have done, or should we be doing more, and should we, should we be doing more also uh, to show our displeasure for their uh, meddling in our elections? Uh, the, the precedent was established back when uh, the Kim regime executed one of the Kim family members, I think it was in uh, Malaysia, using uh, the same sort of uh, attack, VX. Uh, troubling on the English uh, Salisbury is where I understood it took place, was uh, one fatality and uh, 240-some-odd injured uh, by exposure. So it's not as neat and confined. Um, If the English have, the United Kingdom has solid information that this was from Russia with orders, then we should work in concert not only with uh, the U.K. but NATO because an attack on one member state is an attack on all. And... Uh, Mr. Putin does understand strength. The Russians do respond to yeah. that sort of thing, and we need to move that way. We did Art, slap, more, we, oh, we slapped some more um, sanctions. sanctions on them today, I think. Secretary yeah. Mnuchin right, announced yeah. them. Um, unfortunately, it's after we had waived some sanctions two months ago. Whether that sent the right message or not is 
I, I think it sent the wrong message. But so we are responding. Uh, but it's it's really troubling and. And when you put this into the whole picture of the number of Russian-linked assassinations, particularly in Great Britain over the last five years, one or two in the United States, a few on the continent, mostly in the U.K., but I don't think any of our countries have been responding forcefully enough to what is just an appalling what abuse. What should we do? If, if we have been weak and it has not stopped them from their dastardly acts, mm-hmm. what else can we do? Yeah. I was going to say that So there's no doubt it's coming straight from Putin. I mean, this is it's a big operation. You don't take nerve agent and right. get it into England without you, Putin's approval. You don't buy it at no. Walmart. Either. And that's, that's what the right. British say. He's, that's he's, what the British say, and they are reliable. Right. Well, right. And so it's definitely it's definitely him. So uh, you start freezing all the guy's assets. I mean, he's he's a very very. I mean, he may be the richest guy in the world. Yeah. And you got to start freezing all of his assets because he's just he's a dictator. Really, is what he is. And the only way you're going to get to him is hurt him personally. Is so there someone start. close to the president? that can have that discussion with him so the president knows the, the level of dastardly acts that Putin is involved in. Pompeo and uh, Bolton are new guys in. And the president's daughter, who apparently does have a lot of influence with mm-hmm. him. Yeah, I think, I think Pompeo's going to be fine in this role. Yeah. Uh, and, and he's yeah. going to be, I think they see eye to eye, and Pompeo's got a good spot with him already because they spent so much time together over the last year in the CIA briefing. So I think it's, I think we're going to a better place. Uh, you're going to have, think- have someone at the State Department yeah. Uh, who is more of a hawk than the people who normally end up at the State Department. So first of all, Pompeo has had time every single morning for the last year to explain to the president that Russia is up Good to point. dastardly deeds because he's, pers- he's been briefing the president personally, which is unusual, but it, that shows you the level of relationship that they have. And he hasn't made a lot of headway, let's put it that way, so far. So whether he's going to be in a better position at the State Department to convince the president that Russia is a huge problem, we'll see. The, the fact that we have put these new sanctions on, um, on Russia is, is a good sign today. But we need to do a lot more, and I think you're right. We need much tougher sanctions, not just on Putin, but on the people around him who don't on paper – seem to be working for the government, but clearly are. I mean, They're holding all his money. They're holding his yeah. money, the and, and, and they're working for him, and, 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 and they are doing his dirty business. Mm-hmm. And so we need to go after these folks. Is, it a, is this equivalent to what happened in the United Kingdom? Is it, is it equivalent to an anthrax attack in the United States? By definition, you know, any use of uh, chemical or biological or nuclear is a mass casualty attack. Uh, or it's a weapon of mass destruction attack. What so, do you th- What do you think we should do, Ryan? We got ten seconds left. But what do you think we should do? Uh, find some very effective way to spank him and do so quickly. Is that with military might? If need be, send a message strong. On that note of uh, military might, we say farewell to all of our guests. Thank you very much for being with us. Great show tonight. Our thanks to uh, Chris Wick and uh, Dan Dorfman and Fritz Goldman for their assistance in the production of this program. I'm Bruce Dumont. Good night from Chicago. This March, Goodman Theatre Artistic Director Robert Falls presents a thrilling new production of Ibsen's timely classic, An Enemy of the People. 
When a water contamination crisis puts their town in peril, two brothers face off in a battle of political ambitions and moral integrity. The fate of the community hangs in the balance. The Village Voice raves, an enemy of the people is exhilarating to experience. An enemy of the people at Goodman Theatre, March 10th through April 15th. Tickets at goodmantheatre.org. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, The Experience. Tuesday through Sundays and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv. Are you planning for the day when you can retire to your dream home in Palm Springs, California? A day surrounded by spectacular scenery, golf courses, a rich cultural life, and great dining? If you are, you'll need a guide, someone who knows where to look, an experienced broker, someone who knows the desert communities of Southern California and all they have to offer. That person is Brian Beard, who's been making dreams come true for over 13 years, selling over $100 million in real estate, including celebrity and architecturally significant homes to the rich and famous, and more importantly, to people just like you. Brian's company, Caldwell Banker, has agents worldwide, but Brian Beard is your man in Palm Springs. Call Brian now at 760 760- 799-7096. That's 760-799-7096. Or visit him online at com. 